Colonel, where's Dr. Jackson? Daniel Jackson. He didn't make it, sir. Daniel's dead, sir. <laughs> Stargate, it's a great big world With a great big swirl and step inside to another world We're talking Stargate, it's a crazy trip You can go quite far and you don't need a car or even a ship It's getting picky here There's Colonel O'Neill and Carter and Daniel Cree everyone, welcome to Jaffa Takes, the show where we rewatch Stargate and talk about it and wonder what fate Amoroka. Uh, joining me this week, we have Eric. Howdy. And Jimmy Dean. Hello. Um, and this is... Fire and Water, Season 1, Episode 12 of Stargate SG-1. Uh, and the only thing I can think about this episode is What Fate Amoroka? What Fate Amoroka? Uh, the, the, the famous line that, that came from this that is repeated numerous times. Um, uh, I feel... Okay, yeah. Uh, no, I can... Like, we can, we can just get started right away uh, in this uh, one-off Planet of the Week episode that has... Uh, <laughs> No plot hooks whatsoever to anything else that happens in this series. Um, we open with uh, Walter walking into Hammond's office with a report uh, about a planet they scanned. And I just wanted to pause here and correct a little mistake I made last episode when I said that Braytac was the second most uh, recurring guest character on Stargate. Uh, that's not the case. Uh, the Because I forgot about two characters, the first of which is Walter right here, who's actually the number one guest character uh, with a bullet. He's in, I believe, 111 episodes of the show all put together, which is far, far ahead of uh, number two, which is Dr. Fraser, who has 70-something episodes. And there's also a third character whose name is Sar Sergeant Siler, who has not yet appeared on this show as of, as of where we are. But he's like a background SGC character who's going to show up in like 60-something episodes. And then with uh, 26 appearances is our buddy Braytag from last I, week. I didn't um, think about your comment because while watching this, I went, hey, the, the doctor again, Dr. Frazier. She's, yeah, she's yeah, in yeah. this a lot. Dr. Free. Yep, Dr. Frazier is in this one and Souls Walter. So uh, both of these like... The, the, the top two guest characters, uh, all time, all seasons put together. Like, Walter is even like 12 Atlantis episodes and two universe episodes and both DVD movies. He's just, he's basically, uh, he's basically furniture <laughs> as, as far as Stargate now, is concerned. Yeah. I have a question. Yeah, go ahead. Does Walter get lines oh, at yeah. any point? I mean, he does, but it's oh. like mostly uh, filler material, right? Because like at the beginning of this episode, it's just like, I have the support about this planet, something about the mineral readings, and that's it. That's like, that's all he says in this episode. Uh, eventually, he's going to get kind of a more of a comic relief uh, role as it goes along and people start to notice that he's always there in the background and never has much to do uh, <laughs> like okay, this so I know sorry I know who Walter is then in, uh, in Stargate uh, he's Gunther 
He's the Gunther yes. of Stargate. Yeah, he, he he very much fits that that role. And like it it turns into a like there's an episode later on where uh they have to talk to him and O'Neill has to rem- remember his name and he takes a wild guess at it and he happens to be right. Uh there's another episode which is in season seven where there's like a film crew recording a documentary on the base and they interview him and he talks about his job and it's a pretty funny bit. So like it, he's that kind of character, yeah. Uh the the extremely peripheral character who nevertheless is there all the time and is just just in the background of every major plot development of this show and don't worry about him too much he's just generically likable uh, <laughs> so yeah uh, as he's giving Hammond this report about this planet that they're talking about SG4 about which we're never gonna hear about uh, the Stargate activates from offworld uh which is unscheduled, so uh, they go uh, full alert at this because they, they don't know what it could be. Uh, they have uh, guards uh, in the gate room pointing guns at the Stargate. They have full-ass artillery cannons pointed at the Stargate, which I'm not even sure we've seen before, but it's the, it's like a fixture of that room. Uh, they're just prepared to uh, open fire and rain hell on whoever steps through that, If should it come should be necessary um but as they're waiting uh they receive the sg1's code so they open the iris and in steps out steps uh three quarters of sg1 through the stargate uh a very wet three quarter three quarters of sg1 uh daniel is not there um and they they just uh come tumbling out of the stargate and like sit down on the ramp and hold their heads and are seem to be in a bad spot and hammond wants to know what happened um Dr. Fraser runs in there and starts uh, looking at them a little bit. And she says, oh, uh, these people are not doing well. They're in shock. Uh, we probably need to take care of them. Because, uh, uh, yeah, they, they, they look shaken, to say the least. And Hammond notices that Daniel's not there. And he asks them, where's Dr. Jackson? And they just, like, slowly... Uh, each, each uh, all three of them have like a third of a line each to like get across that uh, Daniel's dead. Uh, so, ouch! Uh, add a ding to that counter that I've been running because uh, this is another. We'll count it as a Daniel death, even though he doesn't actually die in this episode. Spoiler alert! Uh, but the the show makes us believe that Daniel is dead for like the first almost third of it or something like i count i'm scrubbing on the timeline and it's it's at almost 12 minutes that is revealed that he's not dead so the whole like first act of this episode is oh no daniel's dead what are we gonna do now um which is actually the the most fun bit of this episode to be honest um so yeah uh, we see that like there's uh people putting the clothes that SG One was wearing in uh, biohazard bags because they want to like analyze the clothes for whatever like the water they had on them if there's any kind of bad stuff on there that uh, I don't know made them have PTSD or something uh, or just it just as a general precaution I guess because it's not gonna come back up to this. Uh, Carter is sitting on a on a bed in the infirmary and sob crying her face off, uh, really kind of like heart heartbreakingly. Good 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 sad acting right there because uh, she's having a hard time. You get uh, that for- Amy Carter. Yep. <laughs> um. Fraser uh, asks to, to to add an additional blanket uh, around her because she's 
positively mummified in uh, comfort blankets right now uh, as she's trying to talk to Dr. Fraser and who's asking what happened. And uh, Carter, like, still crying, she says, uh, there was fire. And, like, it's kind of incoherent, but there was fire and Daniel screamed and then he was gone, basically. Uh, extremely upset uh fraser asks uh, uh a nurse i guess or another doctor to give uh samantha some uh, some sedatives to get her to rest better uh and then we pan over to the other side of the infirmary where uh Tilk is resisting having his pressure taken i guess because they're trying to get a cuff on him and he's like pushing the person back and going no 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 i don't want to um and then he just walks off because he's upset. And uh, O'Neill is sitting on the bed. He's like uh, keeping a uh, more like he's, he's holding. He seems to be holding up better. But uh, yeah, he's clearly also upset. Uh, Fraser try, tries to examine him and shines a light in his eyes. Uh, and he goes, whoa. And he's like, uh, so she says, okay, so your eyes are photosensitive right now. Uh, which I guess can be a symptom of any number of things, but uh, there you go. Um, so after all, like, yeah, uh, after all that, there's a debriefing at the briefing room where I guess individually, because uh, they're, they're, they're only be- being interviewed one at a time with a camera and we see like they're cutting between video of all three of them uh, retelling what happened on that planet. And they say, well, we, we, they came through the Stargate. Everything was fine at first. Uh, we took some soil samples, and then uh, the, 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 then the next thing is O'Neill says that Daniel said, Colonel, help me, and then there was fire, and that's it, and he was dead. And yeah, there's like clearly like footage missing in the middle of the story because no one can it seems to be exactly sure of what happened, except that there was fire, and Daniel was in trouble, and he died, and that's it. Um, and they all feel extremely bad about it very upset um uh yeah all this is just uh an extended sg1 being (laughs) suffering from ptsd trying to recall um the story of what happened uh then we have uh hammond and fraser discussing uh how how they are basically and fraser says uh, they're physic. Everyone's physically fine, so there's nothing to indicate that uh, they've been, you know, uh, medically affected by anything on that planet. But they're all extremely high stress levels and, you know, symptoms of PTSD. And Fraser's like, she she wants to recommend that uh, they go off duty for a bit to, uh, to you know, to rest up and try to recuperate from that traumatizing event and Hammond is kind of a bastard because he's like, oh, no, 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 no. Uh, as, as a soldier, I know that the best thing to get over PTSD is to immediately go go on another mission and replace the guy who died and act as if nothing happened. And that's how, that's how you healthily move on from a traumatic event. Uh, <laughs> uh, but uh, I think that tells us a lot about him that, that's it. And, and how he served. Hey, yeah, I that, worked in Vietnam. Yeah, exactly. That that tells us about uh, how old Hammond is, how long he's been a soldier, and what his approach is to thing. Because yeah, you just mentioned Vietnam. Hammond was clearly in Vietnam himself, and that's what that's what happened back there. I guess uh, there was no widespread acknowledgement of uh, psychological trauma in soldiers, uh, or if if there was, it was only starting to happen like uh, 
on a systematic level. But uh, yeah, Hammond to, to him is just like, no, a good soldier should just keep doing their job. And Fraser uh, insists, and he's like, no, 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 no. listen, old man, uh, it's the 90s now, and you're going to listen to me. <laughs> you're going to have them off duty for at least a week so that they can, you know, maybe in a couple, maybe hopefully in a couple of days, they can have a night's sleep without crying or shaking or something. And maybe they're going to be better on the next mission you send them to after that. Um, and Hammond seems to reluctantly agree. So uh, there you go, baby steps, I guess. Um, and then the next scene is a full military funeral in the gate room for Daniel, uh, which... Uh, I had some questions. Yeah, go I ahead. was very confused by this. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I just... I didn't figure the Air Force gave military funerals for independent civilian contractors. Yeah. Uh, I also asked myself the same question as I saw this episode, and then I Googled it, and I found a short statement that said, it's not unheard of. It's, it's something like, it's, it's discretionary. I think, I think you need like a high ranking uh, military official to sign off on it or something, because it's, it's like, it's something that involves uh, a lot of like assigning a bunch of people to do it. But, uh, yeah, it's something that's been done. Like if, if a civilian has a strong enough relationship with the military in some ways and they die, uh, of, you know, in uh, unexpected cir- circumstances or what, what the military would call in the line of duty, uh, it can, it can be done. It's been done. I, I believe, I believe I've seen some examples of like, uh, contractors that died in like in Iraq or something and that did get the, the the military funeral that was very similar to the one we see here. Uh, the only twist is uh, they don't have a body to bury, uh, so they just have a wreath, uh, and instead of burying it, they just put it in the Stargate, where it seems to get grabbed by the Stargate, <laughs> Stargate and pulled through. Uh, I don't exactly know how that happens right there, but uh, I... I I, I presume they dialed the Stargate to the planet where he died and are just sending a wreath there. Um, but besides that, they do the thing where they fold the US flag into a tiny triangle and then pass it between people and salute and stuff. And there's uh, someone with uh, that horn uh, playing the, the... Yeah, the, the bugle playing that military... Uh, that, that dirge, you know, the funeral dirge that you hear at military funerals. And I looked it up and apparently uh, these were real... Uh, Air Force officers that did learn how how you do an actual military funeral that they called over to the show to perform one uh, for the show. So it's it's all very authentic with the real people who would do it and do it right. Um, um, honor guard. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I'm, I'm trying to imagine that call. Like, all right, yeah. so well, like for a character who's an Air Force soldier, no civilian. No, he's a civilian. Okay, what, yeah. Well, <laughs> what does he do? He's the nerd. The nerd died this episode. <laughs> Except he didn't even really yeah. die. This is a fake Air one, but he died. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, there's that. But like, like, like we've mentioned before, this show had a very close relationship relationship with the Air Force and acted like the Air Force saw it as a vector of propaganda in a way. So they were probably fine with lending their support for this. Uh, also, it's it's ninety seven. The U.S. like it was in one of the few windows of time in my lifetime where the U.S. was not at war with anyone. So presumably they had people they could just send over that weren't being deployed anywhere. 
I, I mean, I guess there's always people in the U.S. Army who aren't deployed, so it's, it wouldn't be a problem now or anything uh, on that level. But, uh, but in, yeah. in, in 1997, we weren't really in a war with anybody. So no, yeah, yeah. It, it was it was the short the the short window between the Gulf War and 9/11 where there was no war involving the United States anywhere, at least on paper. Uh, I'm sure there was there were some things that were wars in all but official name well, we uh, going on in that involved, time. We would have been slightly involved with like the Bosnian uh, crisis, yes. but I yeah. think by 97 we weren't in anything. Right. It was just like the CIA was running operations all around the world <laughs> to subvert democracies and stuff like that, but besides that, you know, that was it. Um, so yeah, they, they send that wreath through the Stargate and salute it, and then the camera follows the wreath through the Stargate and dissolves over to a nice underwater... It's the same set that they always use for interiors on alien planets, but it's been decorated with, like, water plants, and it looks wet, and there's a blue filter, and Daniel is laying on the ground right there, covered in water, and also clearly awake, uh, just waking up from uh, being unconscious for... Uh, I guess, 12 minutes, which is the the length of time it's been up to this point in the episode. Um, so there you go. Uh, that was that was a short fake-out, but uh, I I do wonder, like, what the, the episode previews that they ran for this episode were if they only played the bits on Earth of the people thinking Daniel was dead and not a single clip of Daniel being alive to not to, not to spoil uh, the twist where it turns out he's alive, but... Uh, there's the twist, um, which is, in my, like, I, I, I'd say it's what makes this episode more interesting than it would be otherwise, because it's a fairly simple uh, Planet of the Week plot otherwise. Um, so, yeah, after we see Daniel wake up and, like, know that he's not dead, uh, we, we cut over to Jack's house, which, I like, I'm fairly certain this is Jack's house because it looks a lot... Okay, yeah, there's the big utensils on the wall. I recognize those spoons, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it is the same house. So it's it's explicitly Jack's house uh, where he is holding a wake for Daniel. And there's a bunch of extras of people who don't talk but we've never seen before that are there. And uh, there's a lady that Jack is talking to. And he's telling her about the like the first time... Uh, he's telling her about uh, Children of the Gods when they left Abydos, and it would not when they left, but uh, when they left for the map room, and Charway like French kissed Daniel, and she he's describing that kiss to her, and she seems pretty charmed by this story. And I just wonder who is this lady, and like she has clearance to know about what happened on on another planet. She's not like Daniel's sister or something, because you know you would think people who are close to Daniel but don't work at the SGC would be there, right? But they, they might need to uh, watch what they're saying around these people. Um, I like that uh, one extra proves he's in the Air Force mm-hmm. by having his hands chase one another like he's talking about a dog fight. Oh, nice. Yeah, <laughs> that's cool. Um I guess I, I I like I'm looking at the subtitles of the things the specific things Jack says and he like he he mentions the cartouche thing and he names Sharae by name but technically he doesn't mention the Stargate or another planet so this could be any old uh, story that takes place on Earth I guess it's plausibly deniable uh, what's maybe less so is uh, Tilk is right there and he's wearing a suit with a nice uh, gray tweed jacket over a uh, button-up shirt and a 
I, I like a straw hat, but not not a vacation like a, not like a beach straw hat. It's it's kind of like a fedora. Uh, it, it's it's a nice looking hat, but <laughs> Teal looks slightly uncomfortable wearing these clothes, and the hat barely covers the sigil on his forehead. So uh, if the if the job is to hide that thing, it's not very effective at doing it. But I do like this outfit on him. Um, and he walks in with Carter, who's holding a bottle of. Uh, bubbly wine or something and he says he doesn't understand what they're doing and uh, she explains what a wake is um, to have a party and uh, and <laughs> Tilk says that the Chulak uh, grief uh, ritual is to not eat any food or water for three days and nights and it sounds very grim and depressing and Carter says yeah no here we just throw a party and have a, a nice meal and a bunch of booze and uh, try to make our, each other feel better about the fact that we just lost a dear friend um, speaking of booze uh, O'Neill has a really nice alcohol table right there because he's got like he seems to have bottles of liquor on tap that are like tilted upside down into these taps that people can uh, self-serve into I guess and he's got a nice big bowl full of uh, cans of beer on ice and uh, he pours one for uh, Carter as she, as she walks in um, into oh, a glass but like we sorry o- O'Neill is like a weekend away from retirement constantly that dude is ready oh, yeah. to fall ass back into retirement. Yeah, wait wait until you hear, like, when it becomes a running gag that he, what he does on weekends is go there and just fish all weekends in a pond that doesn't have any fish in it and drink beer. Uh, that's his life. That That's what he likes to do, <laughs> to just be in that house and drink beer. Um so, yeah, as he's pouring the beer into the glass, uh, we get a very sharp close-up of uh, the beer being poured into the glass with the close-up on the foam, and then it dissolves to some bubbly water, and then that dissolves to a shot of uh, Daniel screaming in some fire, screaming, Jack, help, help! And then we cut back to the beer, and we see that uh, he's, like, overflowed the glass with that beer, which I'm just wondering now, what glass is this and what can is this? Because uh, it seems to be... a a standard-sized can of beer, and those are specifically contained the amount of beer that it takes to fill an, a standard beer glass. So I don't know how he's overflowing it by that much, but there you go. Um, yeah, so uh, clearly, like, he got one of those PTSD flashbacks and got upset. He just puts the beer down and walks off, and uh, Carter and Teal look at him worried. Um, then we go back to that planet uh, where... Uh, Daniel is in his underwater palace um, where he turns around and there's a big fish guy standing right there uh, (laughs) wearing a very fancy coat with really wide shoulder pads and a cape. Um, uh, Straight out of World of Warcraft. Yes, that exactly. The, the 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 proportions of this thing makes me think of a World of Warcraft character, and it would specifically be a Naga in this case because uh, that's an underwater fish man right there. Okay. And uh, this character's name, sorry, uh, I did not have a World of Warcraft, uh, I guess, connection with this character. Uh-huh. I've been I've been uh-huh. reading a lot of Warhammer 40k, so when he showed up, I went, Oh yeah, oh that's a Tau. <laughs> there you go. Uh, I think. Th- th- sorry. Uh, no, just yeah. like that. That's a blue fish guy for the greater good. 
Uh, also, this episode <laughs> was the most I have uh, been reminded of Farscape. Every sequence with Daniel oh, and yeah. Fishman. Oh, yeah. Super Farscape. Oh, you're right. He he very much does the bug-eyed screaming acting a bunch of times, like the, the kind of stuff Ben Browder would do on Farscape. There's a lot of Dutch angles and a creepy sea creature uh, and some very over-the-top acting and people losing their minds. This is very Farscape. And uh, yeah. And it's two years before Farscape would premiere at this point, so it's a a, a, a kind of li- nice preemptive Farscape uh, for Stargate right there. Um, so this character's name is Nem. He's going to be named, I think, at the end of the episode by Daniel. And he's played by Gerard Plunkett, who's been on the show before. Uh, he's the guy who played Counselor Tuplo <laughs> in The Broker Divide. Uh, so you remember, remember the guy with the funny hat in there? Uh, that's him under all that makeup right there. Uh, so, so nice transformation. Very different type of character there. Um, yeah, so he's just standing there at first, not saying anything. Um, Daniel points at, him, at himself and tries to do the Disney uh, learning each other's language by pointing at himself and saying Daniel Jackson and trying to figure out this guy's name. Um, and he's just talking to himself for a little bit, but then like a panel on the wall slides open and there's some like uh, written symbols on it and uh, Nam points at it. Uh, so Daniel goes, okay, I'm going to go over there and read this. Uh, he says, okay, this is cuneiform writing. Uh, it's like some one of the oldest forms of writing we know of on Earth. Because um, uh, it's like it's the kind of writing they use in Babylon back in ancient times. Uh, and like the this guy clearly wants Daniel to read this thing. Uh, and Daniel goes, okay, okay. Uh, and he starts to read it. And what, what he can tell it says, reveal fate Omoroka. And he doesn't understand what that means. Uh, but he, when he says Amoroka, clearly uh, you see a reaction shot from them who gets uh, a little bit huffy, so clearly, like, Daniel is under something. Uh, he starts to ask, what, 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 what's Omoroka? I don't know what it is. Is that you? Is that someone else? Uh, I don't know. Um, and he keeps repeating what he see- sees, and he goes, nope, I'm sorry, I'm drawing a blank, I have no idea what's going on here. And uh, Nen then gets very upset, and like he does, uh, he does like a force push or some kind of thing, like he does an energy blast with his hand and <laughs> throws Daniel to the ground, because I guess this guy can just do that. Um, don't expect many answers as to how uh, the technology of these people works because uh, we're never going to see them again after this episode. So what you see was, is what you get. Uh, there's Aww. fish people. They live underwater. They have key blasts, apparently. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and uh, like I mentioned it a little bit on the on the podcast chat, but this guy looks like he has some design similarities with the Wraith who are going to be the the bad guys on Stargate Atlantis and he lives in an underwater city, but somehow he has absolutely no relation to Atlantis. Like there's ne- they're never going to connect those dots in any way. So there's just a different underwater guy who looks like a fish, I guess. Um, so uh, we get back to uh, O'Neill's house where he's trying to uh, let off some steam by uh, doing some, uh, doing some hockey goals like he has a street hockey goal set up and he has a hockey stick that he's just uh, slapping balls into it with it and he like he he does it like you can tell he's upset and like the the hockey goal falls over and he like slaps at it and he he gets real mad um 
and then like he, he turns around and like there's a car right there and he goes can we get this damn car car out of here and as he says that he just like smashes the car's uh driver's side window uh completely shatters it with his hockey stick um which, uh, you know, draws the attention of General Hammond because we're about to learn that's his car right there. Um, he goes <laughs> and he over hits it. it so hard, his sunglasses fly off too. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, a hockey stick is not the, the most, like, it's not the heaviest weapon you can use. Like, so a hit strong enough to break a car window is a fucking strong hit right there. Uh, it, he had to put his whole upper body strength into it to actually shatter the window. Uh, f- with a piece of wood um so yeah Hammond just like <laughs> keeps it cool by walking over and saying hey anything on your mind penny for your thoughts <laughs> and O'Neill says I'm thinking about retirement uh fuck this job actually maybe and Hammond tries to like dissuade him from to- from doing that um and uh yeah Hammond tries to get his mind off of things like Doing his uh, his get right back on the horse uh, approach to problem solving, but he, at least like he says he's got an assignment for SG one, and it's not a dangerous mission. It's uh, some uh, busy work basically because uh, they need uh, they need SGC people to go to Daniel's apartment before his family presumably uh, sorts through his stuff because there might be classified material there, and they need to. Uh, Make sure that the first people that are in there uh, take take away all the stuff that might uh, reference the Stargate or other planets. So he 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 asks Jack and the rest of SG One to go there and do that, and says it's not an order; it's a request. Uh, if you feel good about it, you could do that because you know makes sense for the people uh, who were uh, the closest to him to take care of this. Um, so yeah, Hammond has Jack join the people back at the barbecue. Uh, and as they're walking there, he says, you know, that's my car, right? <laughs> and Jack just says, you should get that window fixed, which, yeah, thanks. Uh, I guess that, that'll teach Hammond for con- even considering uh, sending them on a different mission the day after Daniel quote-unquote died. Um, so uh, speaking of uh, Daniel... He's uh there's another panel that's slid open on one of the walls in this thing uh with uh like what seems like a lot more text on it and he's reading it he says okay uh this is a set of laws from ancient babylon about uh if you kill someone that that person should be put to death or whatever uh and like uh this guy just wants him to read it uh i guess just to ex- establish uh more uh more uh you know, language, common ground, so that they can communicate. He's basically doing the what the Knox did, but it takes a longer time because I guess he's not as uh, <laughs> as attuned to uh, learning people's language as the Knox were. Uh, but uh, like Daniel try- is starting to get annoyed. Uh, he says, uh, "Yeah, you should like talk to me before I'll keep translating this stuff because I still don't know what you want from me, really." Um, and then Nam manages to say what speech. Uh, and Daniel thinks that he means the, the speech that's written on the wall, and he says, uh, it's Akkadian, but then Nem looks and points at Daniel and says, what speech? Uh, Daniel says, oh, yeah, it's English, that's the name of my language. Um, and then and then Nem asks, what fate Moroka? And uh, Daniel still doesn't know what that means. Uh, he says, yeah, I don't know. Uh, Nem gets more upset, 
uh, Daniel tries to get across to him that, hey, they want to be friends, it's fine, but, uh, like, if you let me go, we can, like, I, we, I can join my friends and we can help you with your problem and it's gonna be better than if you just keep asking, what Feda Maroka? And I have no idea what you're talking about and we're just standing here. Um, and then Nem gets once again upset and starts to leave. He, uh, touches a panel on the wall and a thing opens up with a little bowl of something in the wall and he says nourishment and then like uh, a hard plastic stretcher like pulls out of the wall that looks uh, far less comfortable than the floor would be and he says sleep by pointing at it and then he just leaves (laughs) Um, yeah and then Daniel tries to appeal to him some more and tries to get across that, you know, I can't help you if I don't understand what you want me to do. And and then goes, yeah, if you don't do that, I'm going to kill you, basically. So, great, great report they have going on there. Um, to to, be, right, to so be fair at, to Daniel, yeah. he is given a rather <laughs> difficult task, which is, I need you yeah. to remember some type of historical content that you read about 12 yeah. years ago in college. Yeah, when you were... When you were in college, you once read like one paragraph about this in a textbook, and I need you to remember it exactly right now, please, just based on your recollection of it, Uh, which is like a hell of a thing because Daniel could, like he, like later he's gonna try to tell him, you know, if you just let me go home, I could find that fucking book and help you, Uh, (laughs) but no, Um, I I applaud. It has to be there for some reason. I applaud them for not having uh, Daniel be one of those TV characters that memorizes everything upon sight. Like, he's just a normal guy. He's a yeah. smart academic. He does not have superpowers. Yeah, yeah he he has, uh, like, some nice well-stocked bookshelves and the internet, and that's how he knows stuff. Well, and he has a degree, so he knows where to look to find the information that he needs to find. But he's not, like, a superhuman. He's not a, a human computer. <laughs> you can't just recall yeah, that. Yeah, like, my concern would be if this was filmed today, you would have Daniel Jackson trying to go through his mind palace to try to remember something. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it would it would be the Sherlock thing, right? Because you can't have a character just be a, a regular person. You have to have a super genius who's an asshole as, as your protagonist all the time. Um, so we're inside Daniel's apartment, which presumably is in New York, because I, I guess that's where it's been implied that he lived. Um, but the, yeah, the rest of SG-1 is in there. Uh, it's a very nice apartment with a bunch of artifacts and art on the wall and st- walls and stuff and like bookshelves uh, and pots on the shelves and stuff like that. The, the kind of place you would expect an archaeologist to live. Also, Daniel has a fish tank full of fish, apparently. I hope he remembers to feed these, um, which is, ooh, parallels, cause considering he's kind of stuck in a tank with the fish man right now. Um, so Carter finds uh, Daniel's journal, where he uh, she reads a page of it that is basically like the narration that Daniel gave in the movie, like when he was trying to figure out the Stargate, and he, he spoke into a little tape recorder and said he's never going to get paid. Uh, like, that line gets repeated here, because it's written in the journal, and... But specifically, it's what he wrote when they were stuck on Abydos, and he was trying to figure out the Stargate, and he couldn't... He didn't know how to find the coordinates. Um, and then, like, she turns one page, and then now 
the next page in the journal is he's talking about Sharoy being abducted by the gold and how he hopes they can find her. So, like, the, this journal, like, he, he went right from I can't get off of Abydos to a year later back on Earth, my wife is gone. I guess he didn't write a single page, uh, a single word in his diary during that time, which is uh, kind of funny when you know the type of person Daniel is. I guess he was uh, too busy... Uh, Eric, as you said, teaching the people on Abydos English, and as I said, having sex with his wife. Uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, uh, it can be both, I guess. Uh, it's just, uh, well, yeah. Or the but, pen he took with him ran out of ink. Yeah. So he yeah. had to wait to get back. Right, yeah. He, the, yeah, he had a bad pen to begin with. That's another possibility. <laughs> um uh, Teal'c has found a, a nice uh, ancient Egyptian board game with the sticks with like dog heads on it, uh, which I think is a real thing. I, I think I've seen one of those in a museum somewhere. Uh, it's an uh, you know it's an actual ancient board game. Um, so I mentioned uh, earlier the parallel with the fish tank. Uh, this is intentional because uh, Carter is staring into the fish tank, specifically at the water filter that's in there and how it produces bubbles. And she too has a flashback to uh, those bubbles uh, and Daniel screaming in fire like, like O'Neill did, did earlier. And she freaks out again. Uh, and like uh, Jack goes and asks, hey, what's wrong? Are you, are you okay? And she explains what she saw. She says, yeah, I saw water and then fire and Daniel screaming. And like both Teal'c and O'Neill say, hey, I've seen the same thing, the exact same images. So this is like beyond coincidence at this point. It's not just them having a PTSD meltdown. It uh, sounds, sure sounds like someone messed with their minds. Um, and O'Neill says that he has uh, like a weird kind of survivor's guilt where he expects... Daniel to walk through the door like the bottom of his brain doesn't believe that he's actually dead, which, you know, is a thing. It's an, it's an actual thing with grief, to be fair. Uh, when you lose someone close to you, uh, it takes a while for your mind to fully accept that they're gone. And that's, you know, that's not unusual. But, but yeah, in this case, uh, it's related to some mind screwery that happened with uh, our buddy Nam, who walks in through... Like, cause, so this, this underwater house or place, uh, has a door that just opens to a wall of water and you see Nam like kind of walking on the ocean floor towards the door. <laughs> uh, or not, not quite the ocean floor cause they're pretty close to a beach, close enough that you can swim back and forth to it. But, um, yeah, he's just, uh, walking in there. It's a, but somehow he's not wet when he walks in. Uh, don't worry about it. Um, uh, so he walks in, and Daniel is right there, and he's, like, uh, demanding of Nam that uh, he sees his friends, like, uh, he wants to know if the rest of the, the crew is fine, and if, if they are, he wants to see them, because uh, he doesn't know if this guy ha holds them prisoner. Um, and Nam says, they are gone. And he says, no, 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 they wouldn't leave me behind. And, like, Nam kind of explains in uh, so many words that uh, he made them, he gave them a memory of him dying so that they wouldn't come back, which, uh, you know, uh, might not be the best plan because, <laughs> I mean, like, it, he gave them a traumatic memory to make them scared of coming back, I guess, is, is the part of the plan that works because that might, you know, make people want to come back and investigate how he died in the first place. Um, but anyway, um, 
So uh, Nam tries to give him a little more to go off of to to figure out what fate Amoroka by saying, hey, you mentioned Babylon, uh, think about that and tell me about Amoroka now. Uh, <laughs> uh, Daniel is like, okay, uh, all right, uh, I want to help you, but I need a little more than that. Uh, and this is where we get the nice uh, Ben Browder slash uh, Benjamin Sisko acting, where <laughs> he gets really hammy kind of and starts screaming. I- okay, if my life is on the line here, I need to know more. What is Omoroka? Who is Omoroka? You deceive. Why? God, why, why, why would I do that? What is Omoroka? Who is Omoroka? I think this approaches Benjamin <laughs> Sisko ham acting. That's, that's such a no, high right. tier. No, right. It's... It, yeah, it's it's uh, it's restrained <laughs> compared to Cisco, but it's like it's it's at least in the same ball game as uh, the Cisco school of overacting when you're very upset. Um, <laughs> like Daniel, uh, and like Nem finally ends. Sorry, Jackson is certainly like swimming in the river of Ham. Avery Brooks lives in the river of Ham. Uh-huh. He is an aquatic creature. Oh yeah, he lives there. He has a floating throne atop the river of Ham and has a scepter that is like a yeah. sausage. Um, he is the ferryman who takes other <laughs> actors across the river of Ham. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, uh, so, yeah, Nem then uh, finally gives him a little bit more info by saying uh, he Omoroka is his mate. Um by, by which he means his uh, lover. Uh who was uh, on Earth in Babylon, uh, and like yeah, and Daniel says, okay, so and you don't know what happened to her, but that was four thousand years ago. That was like there's no way I could possibly know this. And he then says, you have knowledge, uh, meaning he knows of like he has that information somewhere in his brain because Nem seen it somehow with his uh, memory devices. Uh, and Daniel says, yeah, of Babylon, but I've only learned a part of the tiny part that has survived history. Um, so it's not like, I can't recall a, a very specific detail of something I, that I might have sometime known, but that's not even like Daniel's expertise was clearly Egypt. So like Babylon was like, a, 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 a like an option on his, uh, on his curriculum, uh, not even the main course, I guess, um. Uh, then Nem Nem thinks that Daniel is holding back on him on purpose because he thinks that Daniel is serving the Gua'uld because Tilk was with them, uh, which is, you know, at at another mark on the wall for the number of times Tilk's presence has been a liability to SG-1. Because everyone in the galaxy just assumes that if they have a Jaffa with them, they must be bad guys. Uh, This is another one of those cases. Uh, and Daniel tries to explain, no, I hate the gold because they took my wife. Um, which, you know, Jimmy Dean, you mentioned in the chat that you didn't even re- remember he I, had a wife I, when I he said that. I thought it was a continuity error within the show. Like, he's not, he doesn't have a wife. What are you talking about? <laughs> De- De- that's, Daniel that's, Jackson is like a cool guy. That's literally he like. Through Stargates. He's a. Uh... <laughs> That's his main character motivation. That's like that's what sets the plot in motion. That's the main thing they're trying to do is get his wife back. Uh, the no, because because they reference his wife like every three yeah, episodes. Maybe. Yeah. Okay. Like, and it's always a, like the 
back of the, the mind right. as, as a first time audience member. Yeah. Daniel Jackson is not defined as the wife guy, at least this far into no. the series. He is still nerd, nerdy McNerd nerd. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So the wife guy stuff comes up whenever it does. Uh, but you're right that if you were, say, uh, tuning into this episode at random and not following the series from the start, you might not know this. Um, also, yeah, she doesn't even show up again this season, so uh, it's going to be a while before that's resolved. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, that is very much... Daniel's wife is very much the carrot at the end of the state that gets Daniel through the Stargate every morning, basically. Um, I think so far Daniel they're... Daniel Jackson's wife is, is akin to, I have a, a girlfriend in Canada. <laughs> yeah, I think so far this season there might be more wife plots for... Uh, O'Neill than Jackson. Yeah. And and I mean yeah. and Teal'c, both both of their wives have shown up uh in separate episodes. Um Yeah. Car Carter is the one actual bachelor. I mean O'Neill technically is a bachelor too, because he's divorced, but um yeah. On the team. Um So uh yeah. Uh like after like Daniel streams that no, I hate the gold, they took my wife and stuff, Nem once again leaves in a huff. Because he really doesn't want to help Daniel with with the stuff he's holding him for. Uh, that's real frustrating. Uh, I, I feel more for Daniel than Nem at this point because, you know, Nem is not giving him enough to work with. Um, so, uh, yeah, uh, now uh, we're at the infirmary where uh, O'Neill and Teal'c and Carter are, are all surrounding Fraser, who is, it must be said, much shorter than, than all three of them, and it, like the way they're standing around her looks pretty intimidating. But they they seem to be asking her like basically, "Hey, is anything wrong with our brains? Because this stuff's fucked up." And she's she says, "Yeah, uh, your brain chemistry is compromised because you have like almost no serotonin. Which you know, if you know anything about antidepressants or something, you know that that's what causes depression on a neurological level." Uh, but she says, "No, that's not just that's not that that's not." Not all there is. Um, there's a, a dark spot on your brain scans. Uh, that's like uh, if it was just one thing, it wouldn't be something to worry about. It wouldn't be even be worth mentioning. But the fact that the same spot is dark in all three of their brains uh, means something to her because that's too much for it to be a coincidence. Um, so yeah, she she's starting to to smell that there's something wrong with them too. Uh, then the Stargate opens uh, from off world again, and everyone run, runs off to uh, the embarkation room um, to look at who's coming through. And we see Daniel actually walk out from the gate and take off his helmet and look at the rest of SG One, uh, and and then like, <laughs> and then uh, Fraser walks in, and we cut back to the person who actually walked through the gate, and it's a really gruff looking grizzled. Air Force Army guy who is bald and stares at them and looks absolutely as far from Daniel Jackson as you might imagine. Uh, not even close. Not even a guy who looks a little bit like him. <laughs> and you can see the pain in his eyes yep. when these three people ran in yep. and looked disappointed that yeah, he was so, the one who walked aw, through the gate. It's 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 Sergeant McGruff or whatever. Uh, that's the name of a dog or something that I just said. Uh, but <laughs> Scruff McGruff? It's just one of those <laughs> It's one of those losers from SG6. Yeah, it's SG6. We don't even know their names. Uh, <laughs> yeah, thanks a lot, Colonel O'Neill, the superstar. Uh, 
teacher's pet of, of the SGC for not even recognizing me as someone worth remembering. Um, and then, yeah, Fraser is right there, and she asks them, what are you doing here? What were you looking for? And then, like, they all say, uh, they felt for sure that when the, the gate rang, they, 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 like, their brains all lit up and, and went, oh, that's Daniel. That's for sure Daniel who's coming back. Which, once again, I feel... I feel like I must point out is a common reaction to uh, traumatizing grief when you've lost a loved one to actually expect them to be somewhere. Uh, but yeah, uh, they take that as a sign that there's like some alien fuckery in their brains, actually, once again. Um, so uh, they... Yeah, so then Hammond comes in and uh, Fraser says, so uh, we might have a problem because uh, SG-1 is no longer certain that Daniel's dead. And that, that might be, that might cause some issues um, since like they were going off of, entirely off of their word to declare him dead in the first place. Um, yeah, and then O'Neill says, so I remember see, seeing him die, but I'm also completely convinced that he's alive. So... Um, and then, like, O'Neill starts saying that they have to go back there. And as soon as he starts saying that, he, like, starts holding his head like he's having a migraine. A migraine. Um, so, clearly, like, once again, uh, that's that's some uh, fishy stuff going on inside his, his head. Um, it's like there's a kind of mental block to the very idea of going back to that planet. That's, that's not normal. Um, yeah. Uh, so we're back on that planet now, uh, because this is an episode with no B-plot. I'm starting to realize they kind of stretched out the thin story. (laughs) Um, but, uh, yeah, Daniel is trying to, like, uh, put his hand on the, the, the weird object that's next to the door that Nam used to open it, and it doesn't do anything. The door doesn't open. Um, anyway, it would be underwater over there, but I guess he's thinking of taking his chances. Um... Then he, he hears some water splashing, and he turns around, and we see that uh, Nem has uh, is now uh, dressed more casually because he's taken off the big shoulder plates. Uh, he's entered through an open wall on the opposite side of the room, and he, he says, "No, no, you can't leave here. You're my prisoner. You'll tell me everything about Babylon now." Uh, and Daniel's like, "All right, I guess." Um, he, he 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 once again tries to get across that 4000 years is a long time uh in human history because there's been like so much knowledge has been lost and human lives are much shorter than apparently this guy's life um and there's been like you know he he references the burning of the library of alexandria as an event that wiped out a whole bunch of living memory from uh from actual written history uh and stuff like that uh and like historians actually only know like a small percentage of all events that happened over the course of human history so it's really hard um i'm trying to conceptualize like how that fish man how his memory might work uh-huh. because four thousand years is a long time for any sentient creature right. if you're just measuring seconds yeah but i guess it if all you do is just live in your little underwater area yeah. and you just swim around yeah. and nothing happens, yeah. then yeah, your your sense of like memory might be different on account of nothing happening all the time. Yeah. And like as far as what Nen knows is 
I was hanging out with Omaroka. At some some day she left. She mentioned something about Earth and Babylon, and then I haven't seen her since then. And I've just been here all along, and we we never see anything else of the people on this planet. So we don't even know what the rest of their society is. If there's a whole community of fish people, um, I don't think we're even shown nighttime. No. So if this planet is constantly during day, then yeah, this <laughs> this guy would have no sense of like time yeah he's just he just lives there he just exists um so yeah he's tr- he, okay they, they try to strike up more of a conversation because he says you're afraid and daniel says yeah well i'm afraid i'm going to be stuck here because i'll never know what you want me to know uh and then like nem says omaroka was afraid uh and like daniel tries to say on earth she was afraid and she he says yep <laughs> and Daniel says, yeah, of what, of who, give me something. Uh, like, that doesn't help me. Um, so Nam once again says, Babylon. Like, yeah, okay. Um, uh, Daniel says, okay, uh, give me a name of someone she mentioned. And Nam says, Bellus. So Daniel goes like, uh, he looks deep into his memory to remember, like he, he does remember reading about a Bellus uh a long time ago he has like a vague memory of it um hang on i'm trying to yeah yeah okay he he remembers he's like the source he saw a mention of bellus in which was a of a barosus a, a contemporary of alexander the great which i guess uh barosus must have been a historian in in ancient times um and barosus studied old babylonian texts uh and like uh, he wants to know more, and Nam says, "Okay, Amaroka was afraid of Bellus." Uh, Daniel says, "Okay, yeah. Now I remember that Bellus was a, a scary war warlord, a conqueror." Uh, <laughs> so, uh, uh, yeah, like, yeah, give me more info. I might remember more. Uh, and that's all Nam has, I guess. Um, like, did he have a car? <laughs> Tell- <laughs> <laughs> Did you get very far? Um, Rest in peace, Olivia Newton-John. Yeah, 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 for sure. Uh, I'm trying to remember like the lyrics of that song because it's that mentions like nearly drowning and stuff, which is pretty appropriate for this episode. Um, uh, yeah, and Daniel tries to once again make his case to like, hey, come with me to Earth. We can find my books and find the answer you seek. It's in there. And then is once again afraid that Daniel is serving the gold and uh, Daniel gets mad again because they're just like running in circles at this point because he's trying to tell him, uh, no, I hate the gold. We fight against them. And then uh, showing that he hasn't been out much in 4,000 years. He says, no, all humans serve the gold. That's what they're for. That's what Omoroka tried to prevent, and she couldn't do it, And which is actually a key piece of information that uh, Daniel didn't know, uh, which actually helps him now, because uh, he says, okay, wait, she came to Earth to fight the gold? And Nem says, yeah. Uh, so he says, okay, uh, that's that's something. Uh he says, okay, then, then, then we probably owe her a debt. And Nem says, she failed. But then Nem says, no, wait, there was a rebellion in Egypt. Uh, our ancestors threw the gold out of, uh, of Earth and rebelled and sealed the Stargate. And like, who, I don't know if Omoroka helped or anything, but she might have helped somehow. And like, maybe wouldn't, we wouldn't have gotten here without her help. Um, and then Nem mentions Teal'c or whatever. He says that uh, you have. He says something like you have the gold with you, 
And uh, Daniel says, okay, so you think Teal'c is a gold? But he says, no, Teal'c is also, has also rebelled against the gold. Um, uh, Teal'c, yeah, he, Teal'c is trying to do basically what the humans did back then uh, with his people. Uh, and Daniel is trying to tell him, it's been thousands of years and uh, you wouldn't believe how far we've come in that time. Uh, please come with me. I can show you all the cool stuff we have on Earth, basically. I- and... Uh, yeah, I appreciate Daniel's, uh, I guess, like slight motive here, which is, uh-huh. oh no, 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 we're not, we're not the Garuld. Uh, uh-huh. We rival them now. Uh-huh. We are as as tough as them. Uh, yeah. we fucking, yeah, we're top dogs. We're yeah. top dogs. Uh, we've got uh, Tamagotchis. <laughs> we have shuttles, which is going to be a a joke, like uh, in a little bit when people ask uh, what 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 does what space warfaring uh, capability Earth has. Um, yeah, he he he's a little bit overselling how how powerful Earth is right now, especially considering every time they've tried to get some tech back from a mission, they failed so far. Um, but like, yeah, it looks like Nam is about to give in, like to accept to go. But then he goes, "No, the the knowledge is in your head," and he like holds Daniel's head to really say, "Hey, it's in there. You just need to remember," uh, which is once again uh, disappointing. Um, because they're not going anywhere. Um, so back on Earth, uh, they're in the brief- the briefing room, and they're playing some like uh, ocean uh, noises on tape to like to, like a, a relaxation um, sounds uh, that are played on these big real tapes that they have for some reason instead of just being you know a tape or a CD because it's not the sixties anymore. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but like O'Neill is like yeah uh, <laughs> ah, ah! <laughs> Mighty. yeah <laughs> are you ready kids very very relaxing um uh yeah O'Neill's not into it he says yeah I kind of hate it it's 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 not helping me relax or anything uh and uh, Dr. McKenzie is there talking to them which who is like the base psychologist I guess because he's it's, we've actually seen him in the pilot because he was the one examining the Jaffa course at the beginning of it so he's like presumably a different doctor that they have on base but like he get, he gets the niche of uh, he's the psychologist slash psychiatrist whenever they need one, because uh, that's his role in this one. Uh, basically, he's he's trying to uh, induce a state of not trance because that's coming up later, but uh, a state of uh, deeper uh, reflection or meditation for them to to remember their memories uh, better. And O'Neill is, is is starting to say, yeah, it's not working. I hate the sound. It's 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 preventing me from concentrating, actually. And then, like, the camera zooms out a little bit, and we see that Teal'c is sitting next to him. He's very clearly deep in thought, and both his hands are set on the table, and he's like, he's, he's it, way... He looks like a dog staring at a cupcake. <laughs> yeah. I, I appreciate that for this sensory recall. All they know is, like, there was some water. Go uh-huh. give me one of those relaxation ocean CDs. Yeah, that'll yep. do it. No, the, the reels, like, not the CDs. Like, really go into the vaults for this one. Uh, find the ones that Freud used, if you can. That's going to help. Um, <laughs> you know, you need the warmth of the tape. <laughs> yeah, there's just that, there's just that nice magnetic... Um, background noise that really helps you like with the water noise um like as Teal'c is like 
having this thousand yard stare, uh, staring intently at the at these tapes. Um, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I like that gif. Uh, Eric just posted a gif in the chat of uh, a dog staring at cupcakes, and that's kind of the, the face Tilk is making. Um, so yeah, Tilk once again has the same flashback that we've seen twice now of the the bubbly orange water and Daniel in the fire screaming, and then he he yells and gets up. Um, and he says, "I saw the death of Daniel Jackson," uh, and yeah, only the ghost. Yeah, uh, same thing we've seen. Um, uh, so uh, Doctor McKenzie is is saying all all three of you have conflicting feelings about Daniel because uh, they all know he's dead, but that he's alive. Um, so that's like some uh, cognitive dissonance right there is is what they would call it. Um, he's trying to get that across and trying to make some progress there. Uh, Hammond says, "Yeah, we're like we can't we can't go back to active duty unless we you you." settle on one <laughs> so we can't have you go out there if you're uh, psychologically compromised like this i guess um, okay well then how's the rest of the air force supposed to do anything right that's the thing like fi- find me a soldier who has no amount of cognitive dissonance uh good job uh good good luck i mean because uh, yeah there's some there's some of it inherent in the job i would i would argue um uh, yeah, and that's it for this scene so far because we don't get to the next juicy part of this. Uh, this, I guess, is the B plot, even though it's is the same plot. Um, so we're back with Daniel and Nem. Um, e- yeah, okay. So Daniel is trying to understand what Nem did to the rest of SG One, um, and he says. Uh, yeah, Daniel wants to know uh, what happened, and he says, yeah, they think you're dead, because I gave them the memory of your death, and Daniel says, well, if you have the technology to change people's memory, do you ha- can you read it? Can you just use your machine on my brain? Um, which, you know, da- actually, Daniel doesn't ask it, which is like a small a small ding against, <laughs> against the script, I guess, because he seems to immediately jump to the conclusion that if this guy can implant memories. He, he has some kind of memory reading machine as well, which is, I guess, not a given, but uh, he happens to be right. Um, yeah, and he asks him to just use this machine on him to find the information that's in his brain if, they're, if, if he's not going to let him uh, go back to Earth and then tries to tell him, well, it could damage your brain if, I, if it goes wrong. It's, it's a, it's a high-risk operation, I guess. Uh, might fuck you up. Um, and Daniel says, well, since I'm being held prisoner here and you're not going to let me go home to check in my book, which is the safe alternative, I guess I don't have, I don't have a choice because I'm never going to remember it just sitting here. Um, and then says, no, I'm not willing to take that risk because if he fries Daniel's brain and he's lost the only thing that knows about Amaroka that he has access to. Um, so he's not... He's not willing to take that risk. Uh, then Daniel says, "Yeah, well, I I won't live for four thousand years. So uh, if you're not willing to do that, I guess I'm just gonna like just kill me. I'm just gonna walk out and drown in that water because there's nothing else for me to do at this point." Um, 
and then says, "Yeah, well, it could it, you could have brain damage from this. You might die." And Daniel says, "Yeah, uh, better to die here than to just live the rest of my life here, knowing my friends think I'm dead." I guess, um, <laughs> which is pretty grim. But you know, he's a he's a TV protagonist. Of course, he's willing to put his life on the line for whatever the problem of the week is. Um, so yeah, uh, so we're back at the little therapy session on Earth. Uh, where they are once again telling the story of what happened. Uh, we, we get a little bit more details of what they think happened, which is they were on that planet, and then there was a like a a, a, a flaming geyser of uh, I don't know a, a, a gas spout or whatever you call it, like those uh, those volcanic. Uh, uh, whatever, the, the holes that spew fire into the air, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, there were those, uh, at first uh, it seemed fine, and then Daniel was screaming, and he was already burned to death at this point. It was over in an instant, and we just ran off, and uh, he, they say they jumped into the water, and that's how they survived the fire, and that's why they were wet. Um, and then, like, Hammond asks them, how long do you think, or the doctor, someone asks them, how long do they think they were there? Yes, Hammond. Um, uh, and uh, only says 20, 25 minutes. Carter says maybe a half hour. Uh, and then, like, Hammond says, No, you were gone almost four hours. So, uh, <laughs> that's a uh, yeah, that's another inconsistency right there, which might, might be something they might have tried to uh, elucidate sooner. But there you go. Um, uh, so they, they they go, well, what the fuck? What, what happened with the, the other three and a half hours of our time there then? And that's when the doctor says, you know, if I could hypnotize you and you you would remember that stuff, um, which, you know, is a nice telltale sign that this was a show when, made in the late 90s when uh, hypnosis was considered a reliable way to get at someone's memories and not just a great way to get someone to make up some stuff in their brains and then, like, think it's true. Um, but, uh, yeah, O'Neill... Now you say that, but now I don't know to what extent, but uh, my father-in-law mm-hmm. is a... Uh, counselor like substance abuse okay and i know he uses hypnosis for stuff yeah okay not that i necessarily think it works but yeah who knows i think hypnosis okay Uh, it's kind of like the uh placebo effect yeah like it's called the placebo effect because there is an effect yeah okay i'm not saying that all hypnosis is useless or doesn't exist um I think hypnosis is a state of mind uh, that is somewhere between wakefulness and sleep, where you know you might be like your your mind has access to like the dream space where you wouldn't have access to it when awake or something like that, and you you kind of have dreaming. It's basically the state where you're dreaming about falling and then your leg twitches and you wake up, right? It's it's basically that state is basically what hypnosis is, um, and yeah, I'm not saying there's no therapeutic applications for it uh for sure it might help people with substance abuse problems uh if it helps if it's a way to help them relax and like have some kind of uh in with their own minds where they that's that's like a technique that they might uh use to you know uh, to talk to themselves in a way i guess right uh when they have some kind of of behavior that that they're trying to change uh all of that 
100%. Yes, that's true. Uh, the part where I have issue with is uh, this doctor wants to use hypnosis to get these people to recall specific memories that are supposedly buried in their subconscious. And everything I know about hypnosis uh, is that when you're uh, in that state, uh, you can't really tell memories apart from uh, dreams that your brain is making up. So it's not a very effective uh, recall device if, if what you're interested in is the truth. Um so it, yeah, it, that that, that <laughs> it sounds like uh, hypnosis is better for reflection as opposed to recall yeah. because reflection yeah. isn't uh, isn't bound yeah, to concrete well, facts. Yeah, reflection. Ba- basically, it's a diff- It's it's the same kind of stuff you hear about with people who uh, take mushrooms or something and have hallucinations and like it opens up their minds. Right? It's not quite that effect. It's like it's not. D- deep like big hallucinations but it's it's you know it's a way to get in contact with the part of your mind you don't think about a, a lot and like maybe a way to relax and a, a way to open up your perspectives to everything so all of that like yeah uh hippies listening to me i i agree with that stuff about hypnosis you're correct about that uh, we had just gone through the stargate there was a body of water and i was marie antoinette yeah yeah <laughs> Yeah, so, yeah, all of that to say, you're under hypnosis, your brain is firing off the same kind of thoughts that it does while you're dreaming, and that's not useful to recall things that are true or that are memories. Um, but, I, like I said, it... Sorry. I, I, I wonder if TV shows had shifted away from hypnosis to, like, all right, we're just going to give you a temporary fever, and then when you're in the midst of uh, uh, the peak of a fever dream, we will start asking uh-huh. questions, and that's how you will yeah. recall your time what yeah. if we just shift to yeah. that yeah that that is more or less what we're talking about here but i'm saying that because like it's 1997 and it for sure was a time when hypnosis was considered to be like uh the bleeding edge of psychological study and like considering that oh yeah for sure hypnosis you can recall uh, exact memories of uh of things you did and like the in, in a way that is rock solid, possibly admissible in court, um, that's for sure you're going to recall the actual memories. And that part is very questionable. And I don't know if it's just because uh, it was sensationalized in pop culture back then in a way that isn't anymore, or if the science has advanced to a significant degree since those days. Uh, but yeah, that that that's the part that uh, is kind of doubtful right now. But then again, there is a fish person who has a machine that can implant memories into people in this episode, and also a Stargate that can send you to different planets. So maybe not the biggest suspension of disbelief for this episode. Uh, sorry for the long tangent about hypnosis right there. Um, uh, but yeah, uh, uh, when when he when the, uh, Dr. McKenzie suggests hypnosis to try to find out what really happened. All three of them, like, kind of yell, no, uh, we can't do that. Uh, so uh, Mackenzie says, yeah, so that sounds like you've, you've all been conditioned, uh, you know, like, like the Pavlovian dogs you are, into, like, having uh, knee-jerk rea- ne- negative reactions to anything that could help us proceed in learning the truth or going back to that planet. So uh, that's, I guess that's the smoke that tells us there's a fire and there's something we need to figure out here. Um, and Carter volunteers to be put under, so to speak, um, to recall what, what really happened. Uh, and they do that by having her sit on a chair while there's a, like a, a lamp 
<laughs> right above her head that keeps flashing on and off, which I don't know if that's a real hypnosis technique. It just feels like it would be really uh, stressful to me to have that light cons- constantly going on and off. Uh, not very that, relaxing. That would be that would be goddamn annoying. Yeah. I don't know how you would end up in a, a hallucinatory a hypnotic state. Uh, yeah, I would be hyper annoying. aware, very awake, <laughs> and going, would you stop that with this fucking light? <laughs> Dim the lights, bring back the ocean CD. Uh-huh, yeah. Basically, like, with the actual way to induce, uh, like, a, a hypnotic state is to have someone relax really deeply while you're talking to them softly and trying to, like, keep a line of communication with them as they're essentially falling asleep. And I don't think that, like, helps with that in any way. But it does look weird and spooky and cool on TV, which is the main reason they're doing this right now. It's- it legitimately might have been more realistic if that doctor had one of those uh, black and white spinning wheels and he was just <laughs> spinning it right in front of the man. Or like a swinging pendulum, yeah. The, yeah, the, the yeah. old classics. Um, and step one, purchase the Pure Mood CD. <laughs> yeah. Um, step two, get ye old pocket watch with uh-huh. chain. Yep, yep, yep. Once again, try to find the one that Freud used. Uh, it it just works better if you use that one. Um, so yeah, uh, S- Sam is recalling what happened on the planet, and we get some flashes of it. Uh, she says, "Okay, I remember a beach with sand and some like f- uh, fumaroles of uh, fire that were like blasting." Uh, at the sky and a nice uh it uh, turns out they had walked onto my trapper keeper from 1997 (laughs) and my cat was there and he started talking to me it was weird um there was was a catacorn it was beautiful (laughs) um and there's also a nice uh sky in the in the on that planet because there's like there's it seems to be like maybe a moon that's in orbit around a gas giant because there seems to be a giant planet in the sky and two other moons. Uh, some pretty nice otherworldly stuff right there. Um, and we see in the flashback that they, they walk over to the beach. Uh, it seems like it's being a pretty clear memory at this point because uh, we just get an un- uninterrupted scene of what really happened there. Um so, yeah, as they mentioned, Carter st- started collecting soil samples from the beach uh, while Daniel was filming the, the water, I guess, uh, trying to make a nice little vacation reel. Uh, and the other two guys were just uh, standing there and staring. Um, and since Daniel was, uh, was filming the water, he's the first one that, that spots the bubbling, uh, which is, you know, Nem uh, coming out of the water to come up and look at them. Um, which I'm trying to figure out if this... Yeah, okay, this part is definitely like some rewound footage that they played backwards because it looks real weird the way the water is moving for some reason. Uh, wait, no, it's not. Because, like, the waves are, are moving the right way. It's just... I think it's like... It's, well, it's a, an alien planet, so that's why it looks weird. <laughs> yeah, it's a weird composite shot. Uh, I think... I, I don't think the guy in the suit was actually there coming out of the water is, is why it actually looks weird, uh, in my opinion. Um... But yeah, he walks out of there. He's in, once again, his light suit, uh, not with the shoulder pads. And he just stands there and looks at them because uh, this, this is before he learned uh, to start speaking English. So he's not talking to them. Uh, he just walks over to Tilk. He puts his hand over Tilk's belly, uh, 
clearly clearly feeling out the the gold in there, which you know you know you might think at this point is like because Nem. Uh, he, like, kind of like jerks back a little bit because he's a little bit frightened of the gold in there. Uh, you might think that's the point where they go, "Hey, okay, he's a friend. I know what you're thinking. It's fine." Um, but since they can't communicate anyway, um, so uh, Nam bends down in the sand and draws some uh some symbols in the sand. Uh, looks a little bit like an emoji to me, like he's drawing a little smiley face. Uh, but it's like Babylonian cuneiform writing or whatever it is. Um, yeah, it's cuneiform. Thank you, Daniel, because that's what he says right there. I got it right. Um, <laughs> um, and then Daniel says, I think he wants to know if we're from the world where that built Babylon. Um, and Daniel bends down and draws another symbol in the sand to, I guess, answer the question. Um and then we get a shot of, of what, whatever he's written there from Nem's point of view where he's reading it and he seems to recognize what's written. And Daniel starts to make introductions, but then Nem just like put, does another key blast at them to knock them out. Uh, uh, so yeah, we, we cut back to uh, present day where uh, Carter, uh, hypno Hypnosis Carter is uh, kind of crying and, and yelling, help him. Uh, but Dr. McKenzie is like, no, 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 wait, not not the fake memory. Go deeper, find the real memory. Uh, and then we see like some shots of all of SG One like being, I guess, tied down to stretchers with uh, plastic straps around their faces that look kind of weird. Uh, there's like one strap around their forehead, another around their chin, uh, which is, I guess, is the memory machine uh, that was implanting the memories in them. And then like uh, we just get a shot of. Carter yelling, we gotta get to the water, and then it cuts back, and all three of them are just uh, swimming out of the water and going back to shore. Um, which is where, like, Carter snaps out of her little trance and, like, uh, stands up and yells that they have to get out of there. And that, like, she wakes up, sort of, and she says, oh, we left them behind, we left them behind, he's still alive, she remembers now. And the the way only like kind of hugs her and says yeah i know i understand it almost feels like he also saw those visions at the, as, as at the same time as we all did for some reason but like now he's on board and he believes her and that's enough to uh convince everyone that daniel's alive and that they need to go back and yay they beat the 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 the, the what do you call it the um, ah the pavlovian uh thing that they had in him um so now Daniel is uh, having himself strapped down into the memory machine, which does look real silly from an even wider angle, because it's like a... It turns out it's just an animus. <laughs> yeah, basically. It's reading his genetic memory uh -huh. to get to uh, the secrets of what happened. Right, except it's his actual memory, but yeah, uh, it's a plastic chair inside some kind of like metal tube framing thing, and the position it's in, it's like a sitting position with the legs up, it looks real silly. It's some cheap, like, Doctor Who quality prop right there. Um, but yeah, Daniel is getting his head strapped down onto this thing, which, as I mentioned, is with some really uncomfortable-looking plastic bands going over his head. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah. I don't know if he's just reading his memory, because he says, like, the memory of your history of your race is within you. Yeah. Which, I mean, could be interpreted either way. Yeah, as the genetic memory of the animus that you mentioned, yeah. Yeah. Uh, 
I guess the, the the way I see it is that he the, he's saying you know you have the memory of your race because you studied it in books and it's in your brain right now, which is what I think the 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 thing actually does because that seems to be what you know they don't go much deeper than the one paragraph that Daniel read in a book once. Uh, they just that's that's just the thing that they need to remember. Uh, anyway, so you know, I I mentioned the like Farscape vibes. Yes. This chair that Daniel's in. Way better than the Aurora chair that Ben Browder yeah. ends up in. <laughs> the fucking Aurora chair, that thing that spins around and hurts him for a whole goddamn episode that one time. Yeah. <laughs> to, to be fair, that. the Aurora chair is designed for torture as opposed to yeah. Uh, yeah. Fishman's memory chair. Yeah. Uh, poor John Cryden. Like, speaking of bad brain stuff happening, I don't know that any single. Uh, sci-fi protagonist has ever had people play with his brain worse than John Crichton did. Uh, he's like he's a like a goopy applesauce of a brain he's got inside his skull by the end of that series. Um, anyway, uh, this is Stargate. Uh, so yeah, uh, Nem turns the machine on and like da- Daniel is trying to like to uh, shake the memory loose by repeating Omoroka, Omoroka, while his his uh, eyes are closed, which is the closest we get to uh, Mind Palace, but it's like a technology-assisted Mind Palace in this case. Uh, and he starts quoting the book because like, the machine actually manages to stimulate uh, his memory just enough that he can apparently recall the exact text of the book. And he says, uh, yeah, he remembered, like, an, uh, Omoroka came forth from the heavenly egg, which I guess, like, does that imply that Omoroka hatched on Earth for some reason? Like, was Nem in love with an egg? Uh, it's not clear. Anyway. Uh, uh, then, like, he, he, he said, he, Daniel indicates that he can't read any anymore in his memory. It's too fuzzy. And, like, uh, Nem turns on the machine a bit more, and it seems to hurt Daniel real bad. Um, and he keeps going, and he says, yeah, uh, he, she walked among men by day, but at night she would retreat to the sea to sleep. Uh, yeah, so Daniel says, one of the beings called Owns, which I guess is uh, O-A-N-N-E-S, according to the subtitles. So I guess that's the name of the species that is mentioned only once, based on a memory that Daniel had from a book. But that's good enough for canon because I looked it up on the Stargate wiki, and that is what the species is referred to as. Um, um, yeah. Okay. So Daniel like is hitting a dead end again, and uh, uh, Nan turns it up to full tilt. Full. It's gonna kill you in a minute if you don't figure figure this out soon. Uh, and Daniel says, okay, the god Bellus came down from Babylon uh, into the place where Omoroka was, and he killed her, basically. Um, and that's it. Uh, that's, that's, that's the fate of Omoroka. She died. Good job. Probably could have guessed that one. Like, that's, that would be like, if I was just guessing the answer from nothing, it would be like, well, probably dead. It was 4,000 years ago. Uh, but, but again, if you have no I like the other option. Uh-huh, yeah. Yeah, I like the other option where it's like, oh no, this was just uh, her boyfriend and she broke up with him. <laughs> and so that's why she left and never came she back. She just ghosted him. She's been hanging out on a different planet this whole time. Yeah, and that's recorded in history books for some reason. Um, but yeah, uh, Daniel says like, yeah, from that from that part of that book, plus uh, what he knows now, he guesses that Dallas was a gold and that he killed Amoroka. Uh, 
because she was rebelling against the ghoul, basically. And Nem is real upset, but there you go. Uh, that's why you haven't seen her in 4,000 4, years. She's just been dead this whole time, buddy. Uh, and now he's living uh, pretty uh, bad grief right there, just like he made his Daniel's friend feel at the beginning of this episode. Some nice parallels right there. That's That's good writing right there. Um, she could have defeated the gold in Babylon. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, she only needed the finest copper ingots from Aeonisir. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, okay. Um, so, uh, yeah, SG-1 is back on that planet now, and they basically just came back to witness uh, the conclusion of this episode because... Uh, Daniel's done most of the work himself to free himself by this point, because uh, like Nem has opened the door, and <laughs> Daniel is faced with that wall of water, and he has a like a real funny way of walking out of there. But to be fair, I don't know how. Like, okay, Michael Shanks, uh, you have a wall of solid water in front of you. You need to walk on in there and then swim out. Uh, and, like he kind of like pokes at it and then like puts it puts his hand in like he's doing a a, a crawl swim. And he just, like, walks out of there while moving the water aside with his hands. It's, it's a little silly looking. Um, but there you go. Uh, we get the bubbling water, which once again looks really fake. And it made me think it was backwards footage. But once again, I'm, lo- I'm, I'm looking at the waves on the shore. And they're going the right way. So I don't think it's backwards. It's, it just looks... The effect just looks weird. Um uh yeah and then nem walks out of the water and looks at them and then like daniel like uh comes out of the water uh right behind him and he yells don't shoot um because like yeah it's all it's all been settled now actually everything's fine we're all friends here um and daniel just like introduces them um uh hang on yeah, he, Daniel apologizes, like he says, yeah, I'm sorry that she's dead and that's not what you wanted to hear, but there you go, at least you know now. Uh, and then says he's sorry also because, like, he feels a bond with Daniel now, and he says, you know, your wife was taken by the gold, and uh, Daniel says, yeah, we could we, we could be friends in time. Uh yeah, and like, yeah, Nem says, perhaps in time, uh, which, you know, no, actually, they're never going to show up again. <laughs> this, is a, this is a narrative dead end this episode, I'm sorry to say. Uh, they're never going to appear again. Um, and then, like, uh, Nem says, he hopes that in time, Daniel would figure out what fate Charé, which is ha ha ha, yeah. Um, so, yeah, there you go. And then, like, he just walks back into the water. Uh, and then they, they have a little, like, button on the episode where um, they say... What do they say exactly? Uh, yeah, so they, they, they mentioned Daniel's apartment. Because um, uh, uh, Daniel says, oh, wait, did you go to my place? And Carter says, yeah, we went after the memorial service. And Daniel says, memorial service? And Carter says, hey, the colonel actually some, said some really nice things. And Daniel seems like he did. He seems like kind of touched that he did. And that's the little joke that they close upon. And that's the end of Fire and Water. Um, yeah, the, the, 
yeah, <laughs> there you go. That was it. Uh, this this episode is, I feel, a little controversial in the Stargate fandom because it seems like a lot of people hate this episode, but a lot of people like it too. It's like the, there's no strong consensus either way. Uh, it is like a useless episode in the grand scheme of things. Like if you're not going to find any list that says uh these are the episodes you should watch it's not going to be on there because you know it has no plot importance at all this, but, this uh, absolutely is yeah. not an essential episode if i was reading a list it, no. w- it would say you can skip this that said yep not, i didn't particularly dislike this episode it's, yeah, it's, it's, I enjoyed it. I, I, I thought the fake out at the beginning, beginning of the episode is the most entertain, entertaining part of it, honestly, because it, you know, it gives, it gives them stuff to do that is like not, you don't see in, in the usual episodes. So that's kind, that's kind of fun in a weird way that they think that their friend is dead and it's sad, but you know, uh, that's like, yeah, but yeah. So, like we said, yeah, if, if you were strictly going on, uh, these are the episodes to watch to, to, know the plot of stargate this isn't one of them um, uh this is but yes also, this is also another episode in which if if i was the president if i was old bill clinton this time like so mm-hmm. what did we get this week we got nothing uh we, no, we, we got nothing a, i mean we, we, got, a, we got daniel back yeah we got a, we met we, a fish guy and we got nothing uh-huh. back yeah, yeah, yeah. We thought he was dead, and he's not dead, so that's a relief. But yeah, we got nothing. If we got theoretically maybe in time a friendship with these people who seem to have a high degree of technology and memory altering devices, uh, but we're never gonna mention them again, so, uh, nothing. Now, yeah. uh, now we never return, apparently, to, to this planet, mm-hmm. I guess. Uh, mm-hmm. interesting mm-hmm. that Daniel doesn't just strike up the deal of, if you give us literally any piece of technology, we will just give you <laughs> any information you want. You want books? We'll give you a right. thousand books. Yeah, you want to hear all about <laughs> Babylon. Like there might be other stuff. Maybe some of your other friends were there. We don't know. You, we might figure figure this out together. I guess it's not. Yeah, uh, too many bad memories on on that planet because <laughs> they never go back there. Um, yeah. There's actually, like I counted, there's exactly five episodes in season one that don't lead anywhere, which is like not as not as much as you might think there were for like a season where it seems like uh, the plot is spinning its wheels. Uh, there's like this is the fourth one of them, and there's one more uh, coming up later down. But everything else has some kind of hooks to the future, which is you know it's pretty cool that they're not. You know that that for 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 a season that is has this reputation that it it's not like the numbers don't bear it out quite as much as you might think. Um, anyway, has there been a confirmed like? Oh, the writer says this is how they came up with the name for Nem because uh, I have a theory. Oh, go ahead. I don't know that. I, I'll I'll look it up while you when you tell me your theory. Okay, my wild guess. Mm-hmm. If I was writing this. And the character lived under the sea. Mm-hmm. I would go, okay, Nemo, mm-hmm. take the O off, and he's Nem. Yeah, there you go. Uh, there, there is no information about um, the, the 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 way they came up with this character's name on the Stargate Wiki. However, uh, it does says that. Oh, okay, yeah, it does says that the this. His race is the Owns, O-H-N-E-S, and the name of the planet is Owns, spelled with an A, like it was in the subtitles earlier, O-A-N-N-E-S. So, uh, there you go. There, like, this guy didn't even reappear in an EU novel, which is 
almost weird because everything gets an EU novel in Stargate. <laughs> but uh, th- yeah, no, this this was never revisited. But for some reason, the, the Stargate wiki had enough to go on to have a distinct spelling for both his species and his planet, even though it's a single line. Um, but yeah, there you go. Uh, that's it. Um, maybe next week the episode. M- sorry, maybe Nim just really respects his privacy. So they've tried to uh-huh. return, and every time they've come back, he's wiped their memory. Like, that's why there's no yeah, book. it's like, no. There, there's no expanded storyline. He just refuses uh-huh. any engagement. No, yeah. <laughs> yeah, don't, we don't even know if there's other people living there, or if it's just him. He just, no, I've learned what Fato Moroka, and now I never want to hear about humans again. Uh, bye. <laughs> um uh yeah so they say hey why did you just stay here for four thousand years when she never came back (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's a good question i guess he has a whole ocean to explore we don't know what he does when he walks out of of that little room he lives in uh we don't even know if he lives there really or if it's if that's just his office or whatever i'm just imagining Um, saying the phrase she's been gone four thousand years what what's a year oh it's like a collection of hours (laughs) what's an hour yeah, I don't know. I'm just like I'm I'm an immortal fish being for some reason. I have no concept of time. Uh it's just eternal suffering and grief for my lust lover. Uh, yay. Happy happy Saturday, everyone. Um So that's it. Yeah, next episode is Hathor. Uh I'm gonna need everyone's help there because it's one of the worst episodes of Stargate, but it's also really funny. Um, so uh, join us there uh, for a terrible episode. I don't want to say too much about it. You should watch it and see for yourself how bad it is because um, it's it's real bad. Um, we have... I mean, sorry. coming from you after some of the season one episodes, mm-hmm. I'm a little concerned. Uh-huh. It's bad. It's bad, but it's funny. It's like more entertaining than Emancipation, which is what I would say like puts it over that because like it's it's at least like you can at least laugh at it so that's fun uh but it's uh real silly and real hard to take seriously because um and it's it's an episode that they thought was going to be a big like lore and arc episode and it just really falls flat on its face while trying to do that um we'll talk all about that next week uh, once like yeah once y'all have also caught up and watched watch the episode so I can do more than just uh, sideways reference I mean, uh, when, how bad it is. When you pitch that an episode in the first season of a sci-fi show in the 90s was bad, I, I'm going to measure uh-huh. against Code of Honor from Next Generation. Uh, <laughs> high bar yeah. for how bad an episode yeah. can be. Yeah, I mean, if it tells you anything, we literally haven't had an episode that was Code of Honor, and I would say it's a real tough fight between that one and this one for the the worst episode of Stargate. Um, but like, the good news is all the worst episodes of Stargate are in season one. With like, there there's some other bad episodes in future seasons, but there's a bigger concentration of them in season one, so it's it, it's it's uphill from there, so to speak. And the rest of season one after Hathor is good. It's all good episodes. So there's that. But we we have to go over that hill first uh, next week, though. For now, we have a couple of questions about this episode, which was Fire and Water, if you'll recall. Uh, 
people left comments on uh, the Jaffa Takes Twitter account, which is at Jaffa Takes. Uh, Fox from Eidolon Playtest, hi Lexi, uh, asks us, everyone's saying who is Amoroka, but I will be the one to ask, how is Amoroka? Well, I'm sorry, Lexi. Uh, it has been established pretty clearly by this episode that Amoroka has been dead for thousands of years now. Uh, that was the entire point of the episode, so sorry. Uh, <laughs> uh, how how uh, is Amoroka? Uh, resting. Peaceful. Yeah, yeah, re- yeah a peaceful obl- death, uh, a peaceful rest of oblivion uh, as she was violently killed by the evil gold Bellis. Uh, feels it feels useless to even say that we're never going to see Bellis. Um, much like Pelops, he's going to be one of those gold who's mentioned in a one-off episode and then never again. Um, <laughs> um, all right, other questions, all from Aurora Borealis. Uh, what are your plans for your fake funeral? Uh, I, I need to make, like, my, my, my biggest one is I have to find myself a trench coat and some sunglasses and stuff to, like, hide out behind a tree and maybe, like, some, some, uh, you know, binoculars to look at everyone who's there from a distance. Like, cause, cause, you know, it, what's the point of having a fake funeral if you can't go there and see how people are reacting? Um, I don't know if I would, I would have to think about, what what I put in the coffin? If if I go like mannequin that looks like me, other person who looks like a body double, all burnt up or something. <laughs> wow, that that that's dark when I say it that way. Or just like a coffin full of guns. If I go uh, the Terminator Three route. Um, yeah, I think uh, the mere existence of a funeral for me mm-hmm. would suggest that something is up. And that I'm not actually dead, and maybe it's a trap. <laughs> yeah, that, that's that, that's the other thing. Like I, I thought a little, little bit about my eventual demise, and uh, I don't know if a traditional funeral is what I would want. I would probably want like a uh, a cheap, well, not I. Mean, I don't mean cheap as in uh, undignified, but you know, a natural burial where uh, it's better for the environment and less expensive for for my family and everything so uh if if it's anything but that i might not be dead i mean don't hold me to that if if it's if it should happen that i actually die soon and i haven't had time to actually put uh my will down on paper they might do that uh wow that's a weird dis- conversation to be having on a podcast uh, so <laughs> so i've been pretty open with folks uh my, if i if i had uh-huh. the funds uh years ago i read mm-hmm. that there was a way to basically cocoon your dead body within like a seedling, like a, like a, a huge, mm, yeah, a huge yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, cool. tree seed. Uh, and I would definitely want my yeah. dead body uh, buried with an apple tree seed so that uh, the apple mm-hmm. tree roots can like go off my sustenance, my body. And then years later, mm-hmm. 10, mm-hmm. 15 years later, children can be eating apples with my DNA in them and apple cider, apple pie. <laughs> I, I, I don't. I don't think that's how DNA works. I think they might eat apples that have like your molecules in them. <laughs> that's possible. Yeah. yeah sure. But yeah. Uh, my life yeah. energy. My spirit. I, I think like yeah, becoming a tree is is a, is a pretty nice uh, way to uh, end your life. I guess to 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 to. I would deal like to remains. be cremated and thrown in the face of my enemies. Yeah, that's hardcore. I like that. Uh. uh isn't there also the option of being carbonized and then pressed into a sing like a disc that has a single song on it, like a record? Mm, yeah, that's also great. 
Um, or turned into a uh, diamond. Correct. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, put be put on a ring that is not as expensive as a mine diamond because uh, the value of diamonds is bullshit. Um, next question: You get to destroy all of some rich asshole's vehicles in a cool and over-the-top way. What is your method and your rich asshole of choice? I mean, the obvious answer is Elon Musk and his fucking Cybertruck. Uh, how do I smash it if it's not with a hockey stick? Um, I don't know. What's the coolest way to destroy Elon Musk's stupid Cybertruck? I guess, like, his... Just, like, throw one of his stupid fake robots, like, assuming it's a, an actual robot and not just a person in a suit pretending to dance as a robot. Uh, just just to throw one of the, you know, the Tesla robots right into the windshield of that Cybertruck uh, and have it blow up in a nice big fireball. Uh, that would be nice. The, the, the downside is Elon Musk is a dork and he would think it's the coolest thing that ever happened. And he would spin it and... It would like be an insult to him or anything. So, uh, I would put a cutting blade on the front of a public transportation train, mm. and so it could just cut through the truck. Yeah, that's also cool. Like revenge of the public transportation. Yeah, that's great. Now, I, I certainly hold no candle for Elon Musk, but he is not mm-hmm. the rich asshole I would target. Uh, no, I would. Yeah, I would. Plenty sink of choices. Jeff Bezos' goddamn yeah. extravagant yacht that was too big for him to get oh, out. Oh God, harbor. yes, I would. Okay, build a bridge <laughs> over that yacht and then drop like like Molotov cocktails onto it from that bridge. That would be a nice, insulting way to do it. Uh, Jeff Bezos, owner of Stargate. Hi, uh, <laughs> but yeah, there you go. Um, that's that that is an inspired uh, choice of vehicle to destroy. Uh you got that one right. Um All right, and finally, final question from again Aurora Borealis. Who's your favorite fish guy monster? Uh besides Nam, I guess. Uh he's not my favorite cuz there's not much of him to like. Uh I guess if if Swamp Thing counts, that would be Swamp Thing be, only because I have a hard time thinking of many other examples. Uh, there's, there's a, like, the doctor in, in Hotel Transylvania. I don't know if it's in the movies or just the series. He's, like, a creature from the Black Lagoon-type guy. And there's one of the episodes of the animated series where it turns out his degree is a sham and he's not a real doctor. Uh, it's a pretty entertaining, stupid cartoon episode. So that might be, weirdly enough, my vote. Either him or Swamp Thing, I guess. Uh, do either of you, of you have a favorite fish guy monster? Uh, uh, Abe Sapien? Oh, yeah, Abe Sapien. Or the. I mean, yeah. I don't know if he counts as a monster. Yeah, the real monster that is seems man, judgy. right? It's what's. Yeah, say, say, same, same thing with the shape of water uh, creature. Like in that case, the monster is man. Uh, the, the played by Doc Jones in both cases. So I guess, I guess you could answer Doc Jones as like a blanket answer to that question. I. I mean, I, I want to say the, the fish monster from Shape of Water because, you know, mm-hmm. it fucks. Uh, I, yeah, it but, does. I mean, cards on the table. I, it's got to be Abe because uh, in mm. the first movie, he's Nile, he's Niles Crane. And in the mm-hmm. second one, he gets drunk with uh, a demon uh, with a shitty canned beer. God, I need to watch those movies at some point. Blank check. Hey, blank check. Griffin and David, if you're listening, cover gear or model Toro so I have an excuse to watch those Hellboy movies. That would be great. Uh, 
also if you're listening guest on this podcast do you like stargate um no i don't think they are because yeah, i would die um yeah so that's that's it for questions uh if you want to send us questions like i said uh the jaffa takes twitter at jaffa takes is a place to do it or uh yeah check out the 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 hopefully weekly tweet i make uh asking for questions i almost forgot this week but m reminded me of them so uh thank you m uh, you can also send an email to jaffatakespodcast at gmail.com uh you can also join the audio entropy discord uh server and find the jaffatakes channel there and just have a chat with us there and if you at me on there uh if you want to send an email uh sometime around the weekends which is when we record i might find it there uh though that hasn't happened so far but that's an option for people if you want there to be. Uh, Eric, is there anything you want to plug? Uh, yes, we are a month away from the next Grand Sumo Tournament. Mm-hmm. Uh, we will be watching it in the Audio Entropy Discord. And the Japan Sumo Association, mm-hmm. uh, in a stunning reversal of their attitude, actually did something nice for their international Ooh. fans. And just started an English language YouTube oh, channel. Nice. Do they have the English commentary on there? Uh, yeah, that's nice. It is uh, Hiro Morita, who was with NHK World, is one of their uh, English commentators. Mm-hmm. He's like the main personality on it. Great. So it's a sumo channel called Sumo Prime Time, and. Uh, it's something fans can actually enjoy without having to create their own subtitles. Yeah. Thank you, Eric. Uh, Jimmy Dean, any other TV shows you want to talk about? No, I've just been focused on my my current ones. Uh, Angel mm-hmm. and Buffy, Cheers, mm-hmm. Evil. Yeah. Uh, oh, uh, I finally got around to beginning Watchmen on HBO. The oh, yeah, that's, that's good. I like that one. Yeah, that's good. Uh a wild idea that we would have Robert Redford as president for 30 years, but sure, why not? <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's a, that, 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 that's certainly a Watchmen-style idea, so it fits in with the universe that's, that's been established in the comics. Uh, even though Alan Moore would tell you it's a terrible idea because it, he didn't come up with it, but... Uh, yeah, we know how he feels about adaptations. Uh, also, yeah, yeah, speaking of... Cur- yeah. yeah, he he can yell in his wizard's tower. I don't give a shit what Alan Moore thinks. Right. I I, I mean, he might call down a thunder spell on you if you're not careful. But uh, he's a necromancer. He might revive a skeleton and send him after you or something. Um, yeah. Speaking of current TV shows, if you're not watching the rehor- the rehearsal, everyone, <laughs> stop so whatever good. you're doing and watch that. It's so good. It's so <laughs> it's weird. Uh, yeah. It's just watch that. Uh, also, like I barely need to say it, but Better Call Saul is like it's over by the time you listen to this podcast. Uh, what a show! Uh, also, I, I watched the first episode of The Sandman. Speaking of comic adaptations, also uh, I like the first episode. I, I haven't read the comic, so I have no uh, basis of com- comparison. But it's a, it's a pretty solid show uh, if you're going to watch anything right now. Um, My- but that's it. Sorry. My my favorite component of the rehearsal, uh, and it isn't spoilers, mm-hmm. it's like that joke about how Batman is prepared for everything. Like he has a contingency mm-hmm. plan and he's he's rehearsed yeah. everything. Uh the rehearsal yeah. shows that type of characterization would make someone crazy. <laughs> that that's an insane <laughs> life to live. <laughs> yeah. And he fucking does this. Bless Nathan, he goes for it. Uh this is that yeah, the rehearsal is the craziest 
show, I guess. I, 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 I almost said reality show, but it's the most unreal thing while also being the most honest reality show I've ever seen. It, it, it's, it's, it's mind blowing. It's, it's great. Uh, it's the best comedy reality show drama documentary you've ever seen. Uh, watch it. Um, so that's it for this episode. Next week is Hathor. Good luck, everyone. Uh, we'll see you then on Cree. That sounds fair. Okay, but okay. sharing only, not eating when I wake up yet. Okay. Promise? Yeah, I promise. And I want more. Well, you can get it yourself. I'll be out in a little bit, okay? Okay. Love you.